New Mexico State, 61. Princeton, 56. LaSalle, 77. Southern Cal, 72. The National Hockey League, Buffalo has beaten the Rangers 4-1. to A weak gain today for the stock market, trading heavy with the New York Exchange sales, totaling 19,100,000 shares. The losers outnumbering the gainers, 749 to 709, 374 unchanged. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 0.98 at 1,007.68. Transportation was down 0.62, utilities up 0.07, price of an average big board common share up 20 cents. At the American Exchange, the sales were 6,031,000 shares. Losers ahead of the gainers, 629 to 346 and 319 unchanged. Amex index down 0.03. The WOR Weather Watch update for New York City and vicinity. Partly cloudy tonight. The low is 30 to 35. Chance of a few snow flurries a little later tonight or early tomorrow morning. And partly sunny tomorrow. Highs 40 to 45. Fair tomorrow night and Friday. Low tomorrow night near 30. Highs on Friday near 40. Current temperature 36 degrees. Humidity 62%. Winds west 7 miles an hour. Barometer 29.69 inches. And it is falling. These highlights in the news at this hour. Final NAP Commission report cites widespread police corruption criticizes Council President Garlick for taking unauthorized gratuities while he was the police chief inspector, calls complete reorganization of department's corruption-fighting machinery. Garlick denies any wrongdoing. Senator Proxmire says he'll seek congressional action to nullify the Navy's purchase of $1.7 million of stock in money-losing Long Island defense contracting firm. North Vietnamese claim they've shot down five more United States B-52s in the latest massive airstrikes against the Hanoi Haiphong area. That's the latest from the WOR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11, and here's Gene Shepard.
It's a historic day for me. Yes, sir. Uh, I was looking. Uh, I was looking in my. Uh, I was looking. Hey, but Jerry, would you please put that up on the board there so I see what uh, what you got going there? Quick, just hold it up so I can see it. Uh, very good. Very good. What's the date? It just says Wednesday. I guess that's the 27th. Is that what you mean? Okay, right. I figured that's what it was. have to keep checking here, you know. You never know. Did you ever have the idea in your head once in a while that you don't even know what day it is anymore? Has that been, has that been creeping up on you? You don't know what day, what date? And uh, <laughs> it's just... A, no, I, I just wonder what's happening to the sense of time of everybody. And it's not just me. I'm telling you, it's everybody. It's it's everybody. You know what I, I think? I think it has to do with the with a, a curious change, as yet unchronicled, not written about, not talked about, that began in life in American life, probably sometime around the early '60s, when everybody became you know totally hung on on watching TV news and and uh, everything became uh, the, the media explosion. You know. Which, uh, which I think occurred about the early 60s, where radios, uh, everybody's got a radio, every, every place you go, you can't really escape anything. News goes 24 hours a day on radio stations, and it's your, tuk, 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 your news machines. By the way, for those of you who hear these news machines, you know, on these uh, uh, other type radio stations that use uh, uh, teletype machines behind the news, you know, tuk, 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 that sound is now past history they do not have that anymore the new news machines which have just been put into news ma- uh, various newsrooms all around the the country yeah we've we've got them transistorized types uh they really are something but they make no noise <laughs> not like you know ding 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 jing, 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 jing. have little green lights that go off and on it's a very cool looking things you know they uh very impersonal it's like the other day, this friend of mine, uh, he he uh, pressed his uh, his uh, the button on this uh, this lather. He got a lather thing for Christmas, you know the kind, where, you know it gives you hot lather. Oh, there's more ding dong stuff out for Christmas, you know. And he got he was you know one of the victims. He he got one of those, and the, it's a give hot lather out. See, and you hook it on the wall. It's got a thing. It's got screws. It goes. Yeah, it's a whole big operation. You know, like at a barber shop, you know. And it says, gives hot lather, and you plug it in. Well, he he goes in the John's. <laughs> it, was, it was a couple of nights after Christmas. He goes in the John. Everything's working cool, see? So there's his hot lather machine is sitting over there. And it's always plugged in, see? Always ready to give hot lather at 2 in the morning if you need it. And it makes a ticking sound. He never noticed that. It makes a very slow ticking sound. You know, ticks. Then there's a long pause, and he hears a little tick inside there. So uh, he, he he got kind of excited about it. It's, it's funny. He, there are certain people that are just totally related to gadgets. He likes this gadget. He likes he likes gadgets. So uh, one morning, second day, third day after he got this thing, he's uh, looked forward to shaving, see, so he could turn on his hot lather machine. And he was always sorry that he only used one little you know little wad of lather that's about all you can use you know he'd like to shoot more out because it makes such a great squishing sound when you press it <laughs> and it hisses and it's got a tape deck on the side of it you know it's got everything so he presses the button 
And just like every other self-destruct ding-dong that you get for Christmas, he reaches out, Bill, and he hits the button with the with the palm of his hand, you know, the heel of his hand. He just goes like that. Whap! The button flies off. It's a plastic button. The button flies off, and with that, it goes... <laughs> it shoots... <laughs> It shoots hot lather all over the john. He says, if you ever saw a a, uh, a beautifully iced john, he says there was lather on the ceiling, hot lather on the floor, hot lather all over the shower. He says there was hot lather all over the john. He says, fantastic sight. <laughs> he says it scared him because it kept coming out. So he figured, you know, it's going to get him. So he, he unplugs the thing, <laughs> runs out of the door, closes the door, and, and he's waiting. See, he's waiting for the explosion. He figures the damn thing's going to explode in there. <laughs> I says, well, what did you do then, Frank? You know? He says, well, he said, uh, I had a shave in the kitchen. I, I says, well, did you did you use the hot? I says, well, I was afraid to open the door. He says, I used the plant. You know, I had a bar of palm olive soap. I had a shave with cold water and soap. And I said, well, yeah, join the club. Join the club. Uh, in fact, I know one guy that got an electric toothbrush. You know, the toothbrush types? Got it stuck. He was working the electric toothbrush. See, he was not yet good at it. See, you have a little toothbrush, you stick in the handle there. So he's got it out there, see, and he's messing around with the handle. He's got it plugged in. He sticks the toothbrush in there, and he's he's trying to get it going. It's got an off and on switch right on the handle, see? So he throws the off and on switch, and he goes, gah, 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 gah. And it grabbed the whole of his brand new Christmas pajamas. And it starts to ravel up his sleeve. And the next thing you know, the poor son of a gun is running around in a john. The thing is chasing him, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's go, let's go. It's time to play. I'll get her now. Hold it, hold it there, Bill. You like that, don't you? What is it do you like about that? Just sick, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you got a terrible feeling. Well, uh, you reset that there since it's, uh, you know, it's just about the first of the year, and I'm already working on my my uh, yearly uh, my yearly decisions that I'm going to follow out all throughout the year. I have my, my set of uh, resolutions made out. And one of the first resolutions that I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about, I, I haven't yet... I haven't actually decided to make this a resolution, and that is to cut out all, all tomfoolery next year. I, I mean, seriously, I think it's time to quit fooling around. We've all come to the point in our lives where we're going to have to buckle down and be serious. Do you agree, Bill? I've been telling them for years at this radio station, quit fooling around. You know, get serious, but uh, you just can't talk to people like that. They grow in those big handlebar mustaches and those $12 hip polyester suits and stuff. And so I have decided no more tomfoolery. Now, I haven't yet really seriously decided I'm debating it. For example, all kazoos are going to be sent to charity in the Salvation Army. We get rid of them all. 
And uh, I think I'm going to send my Jews harps to the Smithsonian. And I've, I've got a few other plans. Tom Foolery. You know, speaking of Tom Foolery, uh, just, let's see, it's uh, 1964. How many years ago is that? Six, eight years ago. Yes, uh, just exactly uh, eight years ago on this date, a very important point in my life, I was witness to a magnificent piece of tomfoolery on this, this date. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I just, it's the kind of tomfoolery, though, that pops up and has continually popped up ever since man first crawled out of the caves. And uh, it's, uh, it's the... It's roughly what could be called the tradition of ribbon cutting. Have you ever been present at the cutting of a ribbon for the opening of a new event, new thing? You've heard about them, haven't you? I mean, uh, it, and I was present at the cutting of a ribbon in 1964, just, well, eight years ago. On this, it was cold. It was right after Christmas, cold wind blowing. And it was out, out on the island. The wind was blowing off Long Island Sound. It was coming off in big chunks. You know how the wind can blow off Long Island Sound around about uh, New Year's Day, you know, just about Christmas. Oh, man, I'll tell you, the wind was howling. And we were all gathered, this little band of ribbon cutters. <laughs> that kind of sounds kind of silly. But I was invited for some strange reason, which uh, to the, the, really to this day does not uh, make sense. Because I can't figure out why I was signaled out you know, why they pointed out me, singled out among all the people in New York. There were only a few of us. It was like about uh, 25 people. And it was early in the morning. It was just after Christmas. Colder than a... Uh, oh, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, something to do with a well digger. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it when I get off the air. It was colder than a well digger's what? What is that? Uh, colder than a witch's, uh, oh, well. I'll remember this. I'll tell you this, though. There were about 15 brass monkeys running around that place talking in awful high voices. That's all i got to tell you. It was cold, man. The wind was screaming off the Long Island Sound, and it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, which is an ungodly hour. But I suppose if you're going to cut ribbons, 8 o'clock is as good a time as any. Uh, <laughs> so we arrived... And, and, and you know what the ribbon was to be cut for? Try to think back now. 1964, what was it? Out on Long Island, it was in Flushing. It was the World's Fair. And it was the first official exhibit of the World's Fair. Uh, the World's Fair was going to open, you see, that spring. And it was an, the, the official first exhibit that was actually there and ready to be walked into and everything. And it was like a ceremonial cutting of the ribbon. And uh, there I was, along with other notables, and we're all dressed up and, and wearing sheepskin coats and everything. The wind is blowing. And they had an actual ribbon. It was a real ribbon. You know, when you go to a ribbon cutting, they have a ribbon. It was a very wide ribbon. It was about, uh, oh, three inches or four inches wide. And it was in the official New York state colors. You know what those colors are? Well, you see it on the Mets, you know, all the time. It's, it's actually it's a New York City colors. Blue and orange. Yeah, that's right. Blue and orange. And here was this ribbon. It was a two-tone ribbon. 
blue and orange, and it was a wide one. It was about three or four inches wide, and it was right across the entranceway, the ramp leading up into this exhibit. And uh, there was a platform, and they actually had a band out there. And this poor guy, you know, he was a, one guy was uh, blowing a saxophone, another guy was blowing a trombone, and, uh, and they, were, they were, yeah, they were dressed in, in some kind of a strange-looking band uniform. And it was, there, somebody gave a speech, and he got up on the platform, and I was sitting right next to him, and he was the official ribbon cutter and the very who was the big top dog, the official sultan in charge of the World's Fair. That is correct. Robert Moses himself. And uh, there's Moses. And uh, he's kind of a, he's got a sardonic sense of humor. And uh, he's wearing this, he's got a hat on and his face was craggy. You know, he looks really craggy. The wind is blowing over his eyebrows. And he's got this big black coat. And he's sitting next to me. How I got next to him, I mean, really, was a, uh, I was sitting next to a living monument. Robert Moses, we all know, you know, Moses is a gigantic name. It's a, you know, some, some things are bigger than all of us. Moses is one of them. Some things are so big you can't comprehend them. Which reminds me, this is WOR, New York. And, uh, and there are mysterious things that go on in this world. They're totally mysterious. Uh, that, that it's best not to even explain them. And, and that's what this ribbon cutting was. So I'm, I, I took the chance you know, just to come out to, the, to cut the ribbon, and uh, I arrived at about 7.30 in the morning. You had to get there very early. It says the ribbon will be cut at 8 o'clock, after which there will be a reception. Well, now, the reception at 8.30 in the morning is a kind of a milky <laughs> experience in itself. But, oh, my God, was it cold. The wind was blowing. And, and uh, Mr. Moses is sitting on this wooden bench, there was a little huddled band of pilgrims out there on right on the on the shore. You know where that marina is down there? The marina, as you go past Flushing Meadows there, and the wind... And the band is playing suitable patriotic melodies, at which point, at, at exactly 8 o'clock, and there was a guy from, from uh, the Daily News was out there, and he had this camera, and the... And I, I remember it was a, a kind of dramatic to me because the camera's shutter froze. He, he had this, <laughs> he was trying to take pictures, and his camera wouldn't work. He said, the camera, hold it, hold it. He kept running around, hold it, wait a minute. And he'd take his camera and he'd blow on it. And, of course, that kind of bugged Moses. He wasn't going to wait for the guy's camera from the Daily News to unfreeze. So the wind is, is picking up, and there's little razor-like pieces of snow coming down. Somehow, I had the feeling right then, it was in the air that the World's Fair, there was something wrong. I couldn't quite detect what it was. It just, you didn't have the festive feeling that you should have had. And Moses got up and he said, he, it, howling into the wind. And the PA system, they had this little $12 PA system with two tin little mushroom horns sitting on the edge of the platform. And uh, one of these... Uh, you know, these uh, Japanese uh, double-button carbon mics. We're getting all kinds of feedback. And this little tiny PA system. Oh, I didn't go out. Oh, great power to speak the air. Andrew cut the robot for the first official exhibit. Opened by the New York World's Fair. This World's Fair will become a historic landmark and the cultural life of New Yorkers. And in just a few months, 
Millions of people will come from all over the world to enjoy the greatest world's fair ever put together on the soil of the United States. And now I take great pleasure in officially cutting the ribbon, opening the first exhibit that will stand on the grounds of the New York World's Fair. At which point the band goes, and the band is playing away, and he walks up to the ribbon. We're all standing there, and the guy's got the cameras, and suddenly Moses says, uh, well, how am I supposed to cut it? Three or four guys start running around. They had forgotten to bring anything to cut the ribbon with. There is no scissors. <laughs> so a couple of guys plucked at it and tried to rip it. <laughs> no way. This ribbon was, you know, how silk ribbon is really tough, man. It was nylon or something, and it was purple and, and orange, blue and orange. You weren't going to cut that ribbon with your fingernail. So Moses turns around, and right away the real Moses starts coming out. So he says, uh, well, how am I supposed to cut this stupid ribbon? So, well, get some, uh, hurry up, get some, uh, let's get something going here. And the band is going, and apparently is the official World's Fair song, which was being debuted at this auspicious moment. So we milled around a little bit, and the trombone man is blowing his horn. You can see the valve has got a little thin crust of ice on it. He can hardly move it back and forth. And the water is looking gray and creepy right next to us there. And finally, somebody came running out. He went out to his car, and he got this old, rusty pair of scissors, which he had in a tire repair kit, Bill, in his car, and brought it out. And Moses says, about time. And he takes this ribbon-cutting scissors, see, and he's going, it's dull, you know, it's been used for cutting inner tubes and stuff. And he goes, he starts to cut the ribbon. Finally, he says, oh, this is stupid, and he grabs it now. He's got it about half cut. He just grabs it, and he rips it. It goes like that. The ribbons both fly open. Now, we're supposed to go up this platform. Well, in the meantime, apparently since they put the platform up the night before, this ramp that went up to the official exhibit, it is now covered with a very thick coating of absolutely, totally, deadly, treacherous ice. And it's going up at an angle. It's a wooden ramp. So about three guys and Mr. Moses start proceeding up this ramp. And now that you can see their wheels are skidding, <laughs> he's skidding around. <laughs> he's grabbing a hold of the rope. <laughs> and we finally get up to the, to, the, to the top of this ramp, all of us, proceeding up. When out of, the, out of the back of this thing, out of the back of the exhibit, comes a guy, and he comes running out, and he's got a workman's coat on. He says, wait, wait, we're not ready. Wait a minute. Hold it, hold it. We don't have the fuses in yet. Wait, hold. The thing was not hooked up or wired up yet. So at which point, Mr. Moses says, well, okay, that's all right. That's fine. That's all right. Okay. All you guys got your pictures? Everything okay? You got your pictures? And three or more, maybe five more photographers go, wait, hold it. One more. Pop, pop, pop goes the bulbs. And we all slowly file back down the ramp, holding on to the ropes, because nobody wants to get lost in the bay. We struggle on down to the platform, and quietly disappeared. Nobody went to the reception. I don't even know what it, you know, it was supposed to be a reception for this thing. That's the last I ever heard of it. What was the exhibit?
What was the exhibit? But, but now, why do I remember this kind of stuff? Now, that, that was, it was a great ribbon-cutting ex, uh, experience. And the only time I've been present at an actual ribbon-cutting was a total fiasco. Now, uh, all right, I'll tell you what the exhibit was. Did you, you remember, did you go to the fair at all? You did, Jerry? Do you remember they had on the fairgrounds the ship that was used in the making of a monumental movie, Turkey, by the way? Uh, it was, it was Marlon Brando's version of Mutiny on the Bounty. Do you remember the movie? Well, you, did you know that they had on the fairgrounds the actual ship? They had, uh, they had somehow managed to get it over there. They, they apparently brought it down uh, through, through the canal or something. I don't know how they got it, but there it was. It was the Mutiny on the Bounty ship. And that was the first official exhibit that was opened at the fair. And, uh, and symbolically enough, it was uh, pretty symbolic. The, not only could they not get the ribbon cut, but the movie was a fantastic turkey. <laughs> I mean, if you saw the movie. Well, the reason I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that whole idea of the ribbon cutting ceremony is, is, uh, is, one, of the, you know, is one of those things that people continually do. And one of my friends, a spy out on the West Coast, sent me a, uh, a piece from the Los Angeles Times written by a guy named Martin Rossman. And it's a beautiful piece about ribbon cutting. You just don't see that kind of stuff written about and he says, never mind death or taxes. The truly inevitable thing is another groundbreaking for a business structure followed inevitably by a ribbon cutting. Will be going on. It says, even the public relations people who set up the ceremonials chafe at some of the flackery. Sometimes they note apologetically that they advised against such events, but the clients or the employers always insisted on having a ribbon cutting. Quote, they're the bane of our life, says one PR type who handles real estate firms. You can go crazy trying to figure out something new. you got to have something new, you know. you always got to have a new gimmick for cutting a ribbon. Comments another, who really wants to see pictures of three guys in business suits and a tractor in the background? The answer is, of course, often three guys. <laughs> Everybody loves to see his picture of paper. He says, well, it's been an evolution to this sort of thing. You know, the first uh, ribbon cutting... Uh, did you ever see pictures of the of the uh, of them driving the the spike in the Union Pacific Railroad? You know that? Did you know that was the beginning of the whole fakery of it all? That wasn't a golden spike. Do you know that wasn't really a golden? No, it was not. They had a golden spike which they showed to everybody, which they then put in the Union Pacific Museum, but they never drove it in. They drove a regular spike in. <laughs> Well, so, you know, you've always heard about the golden spike. That, that was a fake. They never actually did it. And uh, the guy says, there's been an evolution. He said, it started with a ninety-eight shovel. Then someone added a 10-cent can of gold paint, then a hard hat, then a bulldozer. Now it's anything you can think of, none of which turns on anyone. In, in San Francisco, here are certain, here are ribbon cuttings recently. In San Francisco, the start of trading in coconut oil futures on the new Pacific Commodities Exchange was signaled when dignitaries all stood around and cleaved a symbolic coconut with a machete. In downtown Los Angeles, movie spe listen to this one. In downtown L.A., movie special effects people blew up fake rocks to mark, quote, ground blasting for a new office building. <laughs> blew fake rocks up in the air. 
In Pasadena, a sheet metal ribbon on a new plant was severed by a laser beam bounced off a satellite far above Earth to signal the opening of the building. In San Diego County, a new golf course was opened near Ramona by a dignitary driving a gigantic plastic golf ball through a ribbon. That'd be kind of exciting, you see. There are other notable examples of the publicity man's art in recent years. Last year, McCullough Oil Corporation celebrated the opening of London Bridge at Lake Havasu City by launching a huge hot air balloon similar to the one that went up when the bridge was opened for the first time across the Thames in 1931. 1831. Did you know that they set up London Bridge, you know, in, in uh, Arizona? You know that. That's right. Which uh, makes you think about the future of our country, doesn't it? <laughs> Wait till London starts buying some of our used artifacts. Yeah, I mean, London could use the Empire State Building. Yeah. I think that's a, a goodie. Uh, they should have bought a lot of uh, stuff from Coney Island, like the steeplechase ride. Set it up there in London. In 1959, TWA inaugurated jet service to Chicago by dressing a seven-foot employee as Father Time, complete with a scythe at Los Angeles International Airport. He, of course, symbolized, quote, having the time to go to Chicago by shearing a ribbon in half. In 1966, Minnesota Mining opened a new plant in Brownville, Texas, with the company president and John Connolly, then governor of Texas, using old dueling pistols to break a ribbon by shooting at it. Now, well, that's uh, Texas. <laughs> oh, man. It says, not often, but once in a while, there's a spark of wry humor, like the time a water purification plant was dedicated by breaking a model ship across a large bottle. Did you hear what I said? Breaking a, a model ship over a large bottle, right? A Boston hotel immediately returned to the general level of fluffy puffery. The completion of a major remodeling was duly observed by bringing in Playboy bunnies to dance with the hard hat workers. And all together as they danced, they cut the ribbon. That's kind of exciting. It says some of the great fiascos in ribbon cutting are, are the following. A Hollywood starlet recently smashed a champagne bottle across the nose of an airliner to mark the opening of a new route. And by doing so, put the plane totally out of commission. <laughs> Bashed the front of the plane and, quote, I didn't know I was supposed to use a wax bottle, the PR man said. The damages came to over $75,000 to repair the airplane. The same unfortunate fellow, the same guy, was involved in a plan to dump small plastic stars from the Goodyear blimp to mark the opening of a new hotel in Beverly Hills. So we're going to drop, you know, stars. It's going to be beautiful. Regrettably, it was raining like mad that night, and the stars stuck together in large lumps. The result, four cars had the tops tended in. <laughs> Listen to this one. Dynamite was to be used, was to be exploded to dramatize the breaking of ground for a Hollywood office building. At the critical moment, a dignitary pushed the plunger and nothing happened. A small plume of black smoke. <laughs> In Chicago, some Jamaican birds of brilliant plumage were flown to O'Hare Field to signify the opening of a new service to the island nation. 
What emerged were a couple of bedraggled, almost featherless fowl. The birds lost all their feathers because it was molting season. In New York, a model on horseback and dressed in armor was led into a major hotel to herald the opening of a large convention. Conventioneers were delighted, but the hotel wasn't. When on the way out, the horse chose the main lobby to answer nature's call. <laughs> and probably most ignominious of all, a plain shovel was used to turn ground here for a new animal care facility. The shovel broke. Well, now... I, I was I was have you ever been involved in any real PR stuff? But you've been you've done a lot of things in radio. You must have been sent out to do remotes. Oh, listen, I've seen some sad ones, like the time yeah, like the time uh, a guy a guy promoted a uh, a uh, a fashion show aboard an airplane. It was supposed to be the first fashion show that was ever held on an airplane, a real fashion show. They were going to have models, you know, going up and down the up and down the aisle. And uh, the plane, the, the the actual plane, they just picked a plane. They were going to just, you know, decide on, on, a, on a plane. Well, the plane happened to be a Chicago to New York run, which, as you know, is about a two-hour flight. Just about right, you know, for a fashion show. They, they picked it very carefully. So the day of the fashion show, they got all the models aboard, and they had all the clothes hung in the back. And it was not announced to the, to the general public. It was supposed to be a big surprise on them, say. So they hung the clothes, and the, they had took one of the Johns, and they made it into a closet in the dressing room, and they hung the clothes in there. They got these three models. They even got a Calypso band, the whole bit. They called all the radio and TV out. In fact, I was in Philadelphia at the time. They called the radio stations, come and follow it and tape this uh, fantastic event. Well, we all, you know, we, everybody's looking for a free ride to Chicago, you know, drink some booze and have some fun on a plane. So so myself and about three other guys went. <laughs> and we, we, we get out at the airport, so we get our equipment aboard. See, the engineer, we load it all up, and we've got our stuff set up. And uh, the guy with TV, I mean, at that time I was with a TV set up. We had the, had the cameras and all. There must have been about nine of us, see. We're, oh, not more, maybe, maybe about six or seven guys. Now, this is a big 110-passenger uh, liner, right? So they wheel it out to the big tube, you know, where the people get on the plane. And we're all set now. The girls are in the john. They're putting on their clothes. And the, the Calypso band is tuning up the instruments. And uh, the plane is going to leave, at, let's say, at the 12.02, something like that. It is now five minutes to 12. And there's two people on the plane. It is now 12.01. And one more guy comes on. He's got a hearing aid. It is now 12.02, and there are a total of three passengers on the airplane. Well, now, that's pretty tough. You know, you can't, because the plane has got to go. It can't mess around. It's got a schedule, see? <laughs> so the captain came on. Uh, we have a five-minute delay, a five-minute delay due to uh, uh, conditions on the runway, which are being clearly uh, taken care of in uh, just five minutes. What he was really saying is the PR man got up in the front and says, My God, we can't go. There's got to be more people on the plane. Well, finally, it got obvious that that was all that was going to show up. You know, they just took a typical flight. They thought there was going to be 67 people on the plane. Just so happened that three people showed up for this. Have you ever been on a flight where there's been about three or four people? Well, we took off. We flew to Chicago, and these models are walking up and down the aisle, nothing but empty seats, and there's three people widely scattered in the airplane, 
and one of them was an old lady who couldn't have cared less. She just looked out of the window grimly all through the proceedings. One guy was sitting there, you know, and they were serving champagne. Well, he thought that was great. He's drinking champagne. Hell with the models. You know, he's knocking down the champagne. <laughs> and, and the third guy was a shoe salesman going to Milwaukee, and he kept crying half the way there. <laughs> so <laughs> the PR man kept running up and down and handing us public relations. Uh, you know, he's giving us all these blurbs, you know. Over 17 million passengers fly to airlines every year. And this new policy of of, uh, of dynamic entertainment aboard the airlines. He's handing stuff on. We're sitting there looking kind of embarrassed and eating the hors d'oeuvres. And finally, we landed in Chicago. It's never been mentioned. Terrible fiasco. <laughs> I could see the guy getting back to the office, you know. They said, how'd it go, Charlie? Oh, fantastic. The people loved it. Look at this. I'll tell you. Yeah, we, we we were faking it all the way up and down, you know, all the way. And, uh, oh, another one. I'll tell you another one I went to one time. Come to think of it, you, you've reminded me of a lot of crazy ones. One time, I was called uh, somebody. See, once in a while, you get invited to something, and you actually go to it because it's it sounds like it's a wild scene. See, so you're, you, you just, I, I went to this thing, and it was in the Waldorf. Now, the one thing that marks various PR celebrations of this type is the uh, spectacularly bad taste in which many of them are done. Right? Well, I'll give you an illustration. I arrive over at the Waldorf. Now, this is the Waldorf. And they are serving caviar. They are serving uh, elegant uh, elegant food. And it is, a, it is a major plumbing concern. Already you can suspect things, Right? It is a major plumbing concern, and uh, the, the reason for this big celebration is that they are now celebrating the release of a, of a spectacular new line of plumbing. And though, by the way, while we're on the subject, let's do, you, don't you want to do a couple of these goodies? How about General Tire? Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> Before we go any further, I'll do a General Tire for you. And it's a suggestion that you find out about the 40,000-mile dual steel radial General Tire built with a smooth-riding polyester cord radial ply body. It's a fantastic tire. The dual steel radial. Yes, sir. You'll be the first guy in your neighborhood to feel inferior to your tires. Magnificent General Tires. They're available at your local General Tire headquarters. And in Newark, see Matt Kaselsich at General Tire Company, 170 Clinton Avenue. All right, everybody, let's dance. Okay, we have a movie spot here. And uh, let's see. Walter Matthau and Carol Burnett make the holiday season even more joyful in Pete and Tilly. Howard Thompson, a uh, famous critic in the New York Times, says, and we quote, It's the wittiest, warmest, and most ingratiating movie to appear in a long time. Thank you, Mr. Thompson. You really get to the heart of it. Christmas is already merrier with Pete and Tilly on the scene. Bob Salmaji of WINS calls Pete and Tilly a movie of today for today. I liked it very much. End of quote from Bob Salmagi. Waller Matthau and Carol Burnett make a great team. Don't miss them in Pete and Tilly, a universal release in Technicolor. By the way, this does not constitute a personal endorsement since I have not seen the movie personally. Now at the Baronet Theater, 59th Street at 3rd Avenue, rated PG. You know, like the soap. All right, friends, this is, uh, this is enough to uh, cap your holiday off, eating it. Mama Leone's restaurant is a gay festive occasion any time. The place is simply bubbling over with all the music and laughing, and the waiters bustling about with still another dish. 
It's the perfect place to take the family if they really like to scoff. Better reserve a table for New Year's Eve at Mama's. If you eat early from 4 p.m. till 8 p.m., it's the same as every other day. But from 9 o'clock, this is till midnight on New Year's, Mama has a special menu. You'll get the, you know, exploding pies and all that. You'll get noisemakers, hats, party favors, and a complete dinner, only $11 for the package. Make Mama's your place to celebrate the holidays. Mama Leone's at 239 West 48th Street. The phone number is, I repeat, JU65151. JU65151. Mama Leone. Has special favors, you know, little funny hats and uh, concrete, uh, concrete overshoes. Now, it's going to be really exciting. All right, everybody, let's dance. Well, Shepard is standing over there. And you know who else was at this one? Barry Farber was at this one. Uh, also, so was Mike Douglas. He was there. And, you know, they, this was a big, powerful outfit, and they invited everybody in town. And the, the, uh, the, the evening was in celebration of their new decorator shade line of creative plumbing. Well, now, I like the idea of creative plumbing right away. See, when I got invited to a, a party for creative plumbing, I couldn't miss that. No, sir. Well, the first thing that happened was I walk in, and there were girls sitting at the desk. They had one of these big suites up in, in the uh, it was big ballroom suite up in the Waldorf, and you can hear the sound of music coming out of there, and everybody's dressed all uh, elegantly, and there's a great crowd going in. And the first thing, these girls are sitting at the desk, and they said, ah, yes, I came in. You have to register, see, so I write my name down. And they gave me a pin. In fact, one of them pinned it on my lapel with my name on it. What do you think the pin was? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, it, it was a... <laughs> all right, I'm going to be honest with you. It was... It, it, well, you know that there are certain crucial items of plumbing. This was a beautiful plastic model of a very, very crucial piece of plumbing, and it was done in the form of a lapel pin. Uh, yes, and it had your name in gold on the seat, uh, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. And and if you open the seat, as you as you open the seat up, it says inside, all new for 71. You put the seat back down, and your name was on the outside, so it was, it was a nice little thing. And uh, they came in different colors. They had pink and blue and green, all decorator shades, of course, olive green, uh, Byzantine blue, uh, various elegant colors. So mine, mine happened to be... Uh, what they call desert gold. It's kind of nice to have a desert gold little John seat there. You open it up. Well, I went in, and everybody else was walking around. They had all their little Johns pinned on them, see? <laughs> well, that, we thought that was pretty good for starters, see? And I knew I was going to be in a good evening. Well, you haven't, you haven't heard the rest of it. Uh, this is beautifully designed plumbing, see? That was their whole theme for the year, sculpturally, uh, aesthetically satisfying plumbing magnificently contrived plumbing in beautiful colors. Well, there, it was a big table with all the hors d'oeuvres laid out. Well, you've probably been to parties where they had a big frozen peacock in ice or a big frozen swan. Have you ever been to a party like that? And inside this frozen swan is the, uh, is the uh, beautiful ice-cold beluga uh, caviar. Have you ever seen these big frozen swans they have at parties? Well, they did have a big frozen work of art right there on the table. But once again, the PR man had, had achieved another coup. It was a magnificent, twice life-size, frozen in ice, magnificently sculptured John. It was beautiful. But it was in clear crystal ice, and the top was open. 
and the top had big gold letters that says all new for 71 and in the bowl was the beluga uh, the magnificent beluga caviar which was being dipped out of the john and served to you now uh it's <laughs> true everybody you know this was really spectacular everybody's really applauding it well at that point the lights dimmed and the band went da da and uh up at the uh, other end of the uh, room there's a little stage lit up and out came four girls. And they came out, you know, it was chorus girls. The band went, and they came out dancing. And the girls were dressed in tutus. Orange, desert gold, green, blue, yellow. But the tutus were cleverly cut to look like gossamer, shining, magnificently uh, uh, transparent, translucent, poetic johns. They were dressed like Johns, different colors, these girls were. And, uh, and again, the big gold letters, all new for 71. And with that, uh, one of the uh, PR men walked among us and said that we could get pictures of these girls dressed as the brand new Johns, uh, all autographed by the girls, and we could use them in our publications, whichever publication you represent. <laughs> so in the meantime, of course, it was getting better and better. The final, uh, the final, uh, the final smashing bit of taste which was enjoyed by one and all came when the no I better not there's kids listening but the, the public relations man is with us at all times friends and the, he knows he knows no boundaries of taste and, I mean his he has one he has one golden life get him to come to your party and make him know it well now that takes all kinds of things if you have to give them hot feet when they come in you have to blow the top of their heads off with acetylene torches. You'll do that. Whatever it takes to make them know you're there, do it. Well, of course, as I left there, I, I could see people were, were taking their little John seats home for souvenirs of another successful aesthetic evening in New York. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I, I feel that, that one day somebody's going to have to make a film. A film. I, I, I think this has to be preserved. A film will have to be preserved, preserving these various New York events so that a hundred years from now they'll know what our real folk rituals were like. Oh, wait a minute. One day I attended, I attended up there on the, on the very rooftop of the Time Life building in one of the most elegant rooms in New York, a party celebrating the anniversary of the New York blackout. Now what did they what did they do? They held it in the dark, of course. And everybody was given little tiny little tiny pen lights to look at each other with. <laughs> God only knows what they were selling. I don't remember what they were selling, but it was it was a celebration of the New York blackout. And in the meantime, they had a comic standing in the corner telling blackout jokes, which everybody duly enjoyed. And uh, especially at night, you know, when the batteries begin to run down, and uh, the lights were out. Then the party really got interesting. It really started moving to high gear. Of course, then the police came. You know, just... Uh, oh, yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith. He's got the news.